The productive and effective life. Eight biblical steps to reaching your full potential. It's not so much a self-help series as much as it is, let's get the tools we need to answer the call of God. That's what this series is about. How do we acquire the tools that we need in order to answer the call of God? And it's right in the scriptures. So, Very excited about this series. I think it's very powerful. If we actually do this, we'll see great and mighty things happen for the kingdom of God. And the motivation behind this primarily is an inconvenient truth. Uh, In Western, you know, American Christianity, this is an inconvenient truth. And it's, it's simply this, that God expects us to get the job done. You know, it isn't something that gets talked about a whole lot in church. We talk about the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God and the goodness of God. And here's the deal. God expects us to get the job done. If you're familiar with the story Jesus told about the vine and the branches, he says, he is the vine, we are the branches, and our heavenly father is the gardener. What happens to the branches that don't bear any fruit? They get cut off. If you're familiar with the parable of the talents, Jesus was talking about how these amounts of money were given to different people. One person doubled what they had, another person doubled a different number, and then this last guy just returned what he received. What happened to him? It got kicked out, you know, like the whole weeping and gnashing of teeth deal. Not so good. The reality is, is that God expects us to get the job done. There are important things that he has for us to accomplish. And if we won't do it, he's not going to be happy. God expects us to get the job done. And the good news is, is that the expectation is clear and the way to success is also clear. And here's the deal. Jesus also said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if we all carry the load together, it will be a life-giving, wonderful experience. We'll be able to grab hold of abundant life and be effective and productive for the kingdom of God. We can have it all. Hallelujah for that. So there's eight steps that are delineated in 2 Peter chapter 1. Last week we talked about faith, and we'll read 2 Peter in just a minute, but let's talk about faith here for a second. So faith, this is step one of the eight is faith, and faith is when you believe that God exists and... It's not enough just to think God is real. You must believe in God. So believe that God exists and that He is good, that God knows best, that you can trust the Lord, that His ways are the right ways, and you decide to say, yes, Lord, I'm in, and you follow Him and go with Him. You give your life to Christ. That's believing in Him, putting your faith in God. People need to move from believing things about God and move to believing in God, trusting God, and following God. We need to move from evaluating God and evaluating the church to embracing God and embracing our role in the body of Christ. I think in today's Christian world, we've got too many connoisseurs of church services. You know, I don't see a biblical calling to evaluate church services. It's not in there. We don't need connoisseurs of church services. We need disciples of Jesus Christ. We need people who are here to serve the living God and to do their part for the cause of Christ. So that's faith. 
And faith is the start of a wonderful life with God. It is not the finish. So when we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins and we pledge our life to follow God, then that is the beginning of your born again experience, your walk with God. It isn't the finish, it's the start. And there are all kinds of things to learn and to grow into and to develop into along the way. And we see those things in 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. So let's reread our text that we, we looked at last week. And then after we do that, we'll get into part 2 of the productive and effective life. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. So it says here that we've been given everything we need to live a godly life. Did you know you already had everything you need for life and godliness? You have everything you need to live a godly life. Does it feel like you have everything you need? Some people are like, oh yeah. Other people are like, no. I feel like I'm not going to make it. Like, what? Everything we need, what does this mean? What this means is, is that you have access to the power of Almighty God. You have access to the strength of God. You have access to the forgiveness of God. You have access to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit of God. You have access to His divine power. And that is all you need. You don't need the the different things. You need access to the divine power of God, and that is what you need for life and godliness. So we must connect with the power of God. Verse 4, through His glory and goodness, through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So we participate in the divine nature. Again, this is a picture of abiding in the vine, like John chapter 15. This is a picture of connecting with the divine power of God. We see that we can participate in the divine nature, have the mind of Christ, and the Spirit of God in our hearts, and we can walk with God, and that frees us from the corruption of this world. And then verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort. Have you ever made every effort for something? This is what I like about high school sports. You want to see somebody make every effort? They will do amazing things just to be a little bit better at their sport. You know? I enjoy wrestling. I've coached wrestling. And let me tell you, kids will suffer amazingly difficult things just to have a little bit better shot at maybe winning the next match. They will suffer. They'll make every effort. Have you made every effort for something? Maybe it's starting a business. Maybe it's being part of, you know, like a play or it's being on a sports team or whatever it is, you're trying to get your family situation worked out and you make every effort. Have you ever made every effort for something? Have you ever made some effort? A little bit of effort. How about with God? Are you an every effort person or a some effort person? What does our Lord deserve from his people? 
He deserves people who are all in, every effort, come on, let's go. Again, let me tell you, when you go all in, you'll find out that God is actually good, His yoke actually is easy, and His burden is light. Now, there's times where you go to battle, and it's tough, but He is good, He's about abundant life, not about us being miserable, He's about helping us into a better life, and helping us to help others into a better life, abundant life, and eternal life, and it's good. So don't be afraid to go all in with God and make every effort because it's good. So for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith. That was last week, step one. Add to your faith, goodness. We'll talk about that today. And to goodness, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here, we can be effective and productive because these will keep us from being ineffective and unproductive. And if God expects us to get the job done, then I want to be effective and productive. And so there's a nice list of eight things. We just do these eight things and they will keep us from being ineffective and unproductive. I like that. I like simple things that make sense. Let's do these eight things. We'll do an eight-week series on it, and we'll be all set. And God will do great things because we got these things down. But it all starts with faith. We want to be effective and productive. If we don't, there's the other side of the coin. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. So nearsighted and blind means we can only see things that have to do with us. We're stuck in our own little world. We're stuck dealing with our own little problems. And we haven't risen above that to see God's plan for our life and how we fit into this greater global kingdom of God. And so when we rise above that, we're not stuck in our own little issues and nearsighted, but we rise above it and we can see God's greater plan. And that's when we have strength. Verse 10, therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. How does never fall sound? That sounds real good. Verse 11, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what's being said here in 2 Peter chapter 1 is that we've been given everything we need. And just to help us understand it, let's make eight categories of things that we add to our lives that keep us from being ineffective and unproductive. So we get to live a life of purpose. We get to actually get the job done. And then we get a welcome into the eternal kingdom of God. Well done, good and faithful servant. This is good in every way. So let's take it. Last week, talked about faith. This week, we talk about goodness. Let's go back to verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. So we've got this list of eight things, and I believe it's a bit of a loose progression, but it's a progression. The first three, we've got faith, goodness, and knowledge are things that are added to us, are things that we build on and we grow in and they add things and we become. Then the next two are things designed to protect that beautiful thing of God that's growing in us. That is self-control and perseverance. They're there to protect that. And then we have the last three, which are the fruits of or the maturing of those five things brings us into godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. That's the, the maturing of it. So we see there's a progression here, but also they're all sort of happening at the same time as well. So it's kind of a loose progression, but we start with
with faith, then we go to goodness. This is where we're building up good things from God. Our walk with God is working well. Now, a lot of other translations, this is the NIV, other translations, instead of goodness, it'll say virtue or it'll say moral excellence. And so I went to the Greek and looked up what is the word. And if we were to literally translate the word from the Greek that here says goodness, it would be the word manliness. It's literally manliness. Add to your faith manliness. Would you have anticipated that the Greek word would be manliness? What is that? What does it mean, manliness? Well, the word man in the Greek, so that's the root of manliness. The word man means strong for lifting. Man, pick up heavy thing. It's a picture of strength. It's a strength. So we're adding to our faith some sort of strength. And it's the strength to do the right thing. When we get to week four, we talk about self-control. That's the strength to not do the wrong thing. This is the strength to do the right thing. This is the strength to answer the call. This is the strength to do the thing that needs doing. This is the strength to step in. It's not the strength to not mess it up. This is what you need to do to build the thing. Build the God thing in your life. It's the strength to do the right thing. So it's manliness. We might say, man up. When I was a kid, they'd say, man up. You'd be playing football in the yard and you get knocked to the ground and you can't breathe and you got dirt in your eye and you man up, you know, so you just stand up and you pretend you're breathing and you just go on with your life because that's what you do. You man up, you toughen up. I can do this, not a problem, you know, and you go forward. Kids these days, they talk about adulting and having to adult today. You know, it's a verb for them. And what it means is, oh, I got to do the right thing. I've got to do my homework. I've got to go to work. I, I got to get up early. I don't want to, but I have to. It's adulting, what they call it. So basically, that's manliness. It's the strength to do the right thing. Go ahead and do the job even when you don't feel like it. Do some adulting. So this is about the strength to do the right thing. Isn't that nice? The strength to do the right thing. So let me say, if we have the strength to do the right thing, then we will add good God things to our life. And one of the significant problems is people start their Christian walk on step four of this list. Don't do that. So they try to not do stuff. But the thing is, you don't have anything to protect yet. You don't have this beautiful thing from God that is growing in your life that needs protecting. And so if that's not happening, you don't know why you're supposed to not do these things. Because it doesn't really seem to make any difference. And so you try to not do anything, but you're not protecting anything. You're just following a rule that doesn't make sense. But once the God things start to grow in your life, and then you realize, you know, wow, when I'm jealous of other people and I'm coveting to use biblical language, then it stops my thankfulness and it hurts my relationship with God. Wow, I really need to deal with this jealousy and this coveting thing or I'm not going to be able to continue to advance with God. And you see that there's this thing to protect, then it makes sense to don't do that. But beforehand, if there's nothing to protect, 
It just doesn't seem to make any difference and make any sense. So we need to start with doing the right things. And in the foundations class, uh, we talk about four things. Again, I like to make things as simple as possible. And if you're a sincere Christian, I believe if you do these four things honestly, that you will be growing in your faith. And it's simply this. Attend a big group meeting. Connect with a small group. Have personal devotions, you and God. And find a way to serve the Lord. Now, this can take many different forms. I don't really care what the particular form is. But show up for a big group meeting. Because this is where we have strength. This is where we can work together and get things accomplished. When we come together in a big group. The Vacation Bible School kids at Mega Camp raised over $800 for a Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge. Now, that's amazing. So things like world missions, those things are able to be done when we all work together. The New Vision Children's Home in Christiana, Jamaica is kind of our adopted missions work over there in Jamaica. And it's an orphanage, basically, also foster care and different things like that. But uh, it's a home for kids who need a place to be. And it would be closed right now if we weren't supporting it because we're the only monthly supporter of that ministry. And through our child sponsorship program, we're able to keep that place open. And if we hadn't gone on our mission trip in January, a year and a half ago, it would be closed right now. Hallelujah for that. We see things happen and we can do that because we're working together in a big group. But guess what? You're not going to have deep personal relationships in a big group setting and you need deep personal Christian relationships because we've got to walk through this thing and we need somebody to be there with us. We need somebody to talk to about the issues that we're facing. We need somebody who cares and who understands us. And so that means you have to have connections with a smaller group of people in order to have that. And again, you can sign up for a small group and have it be a fairly formal thing, or you can just get together with some people. I don't really care how that works, but you need to find yourself some close Christian relationships and take personal responsibility to step into that. Don't passively wait for somebody to talk to you. You know, if you wish somebody would talk to you, go talk to them. Have the strength to do the right thing. Go engage people and develop those friendships so you have people that you can walk through life with. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. And so we need to connect with a big group. We need to have small groups. We need to have personal time with God. That's number three here on this list of four things is We need to have personal time with God, time reading our Bibles, time praying to God, time worshiping God. Now, I like worshiping in song. It's something that I connect with, but I believe I connect more with God just by myself out in the wilderness. I can sit in a rock out in the middle of nowhere and I can worship God and it's a powerful, powerful thing. And so people worship God in different ways. And the reality is, is you need that time with God. And if you resonate with a big group of people being loud, hallelujah for that. If you need to get out quiet by yourself, amen, go do that. If you need to be serving, like some people worship God while they're serving God. And so then volunteer for the Feed My Starving Children mobile food packing event, and you can serve God through that. But you need to have regular times of just you and God, worshiping God, praying, reading the scriptures. That's very important. And then the fourth one, find a way to serve. 
And of course, in the church, we have organized ways of serving God, but there are many, many ways of serving God that you don't sign up for. You see somebody in Walmart, you don't even know who they are, but you can tell, wow, this person needs some encouragement and I'm supposed to go talk to them. So then you just say, hey, how you doing? You know, I just, I just wanted to encourage you. I'm a, I'm a believer in Jesus and I think God wants to just have me pray a blessing over you today. Will you mind if I do that? And some people are like, what? And other people are like, yeah, that'd be great. You know, and you can just go do that. Just serve God in some way, organized or not organized. Those four things, if we're doing those four things, if we have the strength to engage those things, to show up for a big group meeting, if you feel like it or not, to build relationships with people, even if it's awkward, to have the discipline to be able to spend time with God and then to find ways to serve. If you're doing those things, I believe you'll be growing in your faith and over time you'll develop into a stronger, stronger place of serving the Lord. Are you ready for the harsh part of the sermon? This is fairly harsh. What then would the opposite of manliness be? The opposite of the strength to do the right thing. What would the opposite of manliness be? Cowardice, abdication, which means that you have a responsibility, but you just run away. You know, like the king abdicated the throne. He just leaves the throne because the bad guys are going to take over. And so he's going to skip town and let his subjects fight the battle. He just runs away, abdicating the throne. We can abdicate responsibility and just pretend it's not our, our deal. So cowardice and abdication are the opposite of manliness, the strength to do the right thing or goodness here as it's translated in the NIV. Let's go to Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 6. We get the good news, and then we get the bad news. So this is the revelation of Jesus to John. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Hallelujah. He who overcomes will inherit all this and I will be his God and he will be my son. So we're called to be overcomers. We're called to see the trials and difficulties of this life and overcome them through the power of God. We've been given everything we need to do that. However, verse 8, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Isn't it interesting that that list starts with the cowardly? Would you have anticipated that the first thing on that list would be cowards? Here's my harsh statement for the day. Why do cowards go to hell? Well, the answer is because the damage done is just the same. The damage done by the deserter is just the same. If I'm going to battle and I've got a man on my right and a man on my left and they peel back because they're scared and leave me there by myself, what's going to happen? I'm done. The damage is done just the same. Proverbs 18 verse 9 says this, one who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. So the cowardly who doesn't have the strength to do the right thing, who doesn't step into the battle, that person who's just slack because they're cowardly is brother to one who destroys. And destroys what? The plan of God, the purpose of God, His plan for the church, His plan for salvation for the world. If we don't step into it, that falls apart. 
So, we must not be cowards. We must be men. We must have the strength to do the right thing. So, men and women, men, man up. Now, ladies, you need a man up too. Do the thing that you do, whatever that is. But we have to have the strength to do the right thing. And men, I want to talk to men specifically for just a moment. You are called by God to be a valiant warrior for Christ, to be strong and to lead and to engage the battle. And today I call you up into that position. You are called to be a valiant, strong warrior for Christ in this world. I call you up to that. Rise to the calling. Don't be a spiritual coward. Be an overcomer. Be more than a conqueror. So let's do some rapid fire adulting. You ready to do that? We're going to look at some scripture verses and we're going to see what does it mean to have the strength to do the right thing? What does it mean to man up? What does it mean to adult in these cases? What does it mean to have goodness in these verses? So again, we're not talking about the strength to not do the wrong thing. Let's have the strength to do the right thing. Matthew 7, 3 through 5, the plank in the eye. Let's look at this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Meaning, okay, you notice the faults about other people, but you got faults yourself. Verse 4, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye while all the time there's a plank in your own eye? Verse 5, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So what does it mean to man up with regards to Matthew 7, 5? It means to take a look in the mirror and be honest about what you see. Have the strength to do that. Is it always fun to take an honest look in the mirror? Not always fun, but it's way better than the alternative because everybody else knows. You might as well know too. Take an honest look in the mirror and deal with it. Let's talk about approaching God. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So Jesus came to this earth. He knows what it's like to be abandoned. He knows what it's like to be humiliated. He knows what it's like to be beaten and tried, falsely accused. He knows what it's like to fight the battles of this life so he knows what we're going through. He can sympathize with us. So verse 16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So what, how do we man up with this? It is simply this, go approach God. Don't be busy doing religious things and thinking thoughts about God. You go and you approach God. You call him up by name, you, you know, you talk to him. And you don't have to do it in any fancy way. You don't have to, you know, all of a sudden start talking King James language or it's not going to work. Just go talk to God. And you can be honest with him. If you're, if you're upset with him over something, you talk to him about it. You go boldly to the throne of grace. You engage Almighty God. Go do that. It's not enough just to listen to me talk and to show up for stuff and give for this. Engage Almighty God, have the strength to do the right thing. You find yourself alone later today, in a few days, you find yourself in a spot, engage God, talk to him, approach the throne of grace 
with confidence because you know that your God loves you and relates to you and understands you. Let's do James 1.27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. That's a great thing to find out. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So, how do you do that? Well, volunteer for the Feed My Starving Children mobile food pack. (laughs) Help with the New Vision Children's Home. Do these things. Engage. And we'll be doing the things that God is pleased with. Ephesians 5.33. The Apostle Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus about how husbands and wives are to relate to each other. This is the conclusion of the matter. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So how do we have the strength to do the right thing in our marriage relationships? Men, love your wife. She's not very lovely right now. Love your wife anyway. Add some love into the relationship, into the difficult situation. Put love in there. It's not going very well. Don't add uh, anything yucky. Add love. Wives, respect your husband. He just made the dumbest decision I've ever seen anyone make in my life. (laughs) Yeah, well, he's going to need something then, right? He's hurting. He's hurting. So you respect him. Put some respect into that situation because he needs that. Don't nag and, and just blame him for everything. You know, respect him. Put it in there. Trinette and I, later this week, we're going down to the cities to do a marriage conference. If that goes well, we'll do it up here too. We're going to try it out on them, and if it goes, great, and we'll do it here. If it's a big bomb, then we'll just leave it there. So we'll be talking about love and respect and all these sorts of things, how to grow in that relationship. And a lot of it is having the strength to do the right thing. It's not just about not doing the wrong thing. We have to put something in. We have to have the strength to do the right thing. So... We just read a few scriptures, right? This is a real thick book. There's lots of stuff in here. How do we manage all of this? It's a lot to figure out. I was so happy years ago when I read in the scriptures that somebody asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment? What's the most important thing? If we get everything else wrong, but we get this right, we're doing okay. What's the most important thing? And so Jesus answers the question. Let's go to Matthew 22, verse 37, and we'll apply our concept of having the strength to do the right thing to this, and then we're on the right track. Jesus replied to the question, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. In Mark, the recording there adds the word, with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus is giving us two simple commandments that then when extrapolated, bring in the whole of all of the rest of the rules. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor. Did you know you can love your neighbor in church? This isn't just your next door neighbor by your house or your apartment. This is Anyone that you come into contact with, you can love your neighbor in church. One of the greatest tragedies that I see in today's body of Christ, in Western Christianity, is is simply this. Lonely people coming to church and leaving lonely. That's not God's plan. God's plan is for lonely people to come to church and to find a family, to find brothers and sisters that love them, that are going to put up with some of their junk and who are going to help them. That's what it's supposed to be. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are so good. 
You are so good. We love you, Lord. You are majestic and powerful and incredible and awesome. And Lord, you are kind and slow to anger and merciful. Lord, you are the creator of the universe and you are beyond anything we can understand. But Lord, you care about our daily lives and the things we're going through and you want a relationship with us and you want to pick us up. You don't just destroy us because of our foolishness, but you redeem us and pay the price for us so that we could be washed clean and and be able to be in your presence without being destroyed. Lord, you are so good. We love you. We give you praise. We honor you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for creating us in the first place and giving us the gift of life. Thank you, Lord, that we can connect with you, that you desire a relationship with us and you want to show us things and help us to see the way your kingdom works and give us the tools to fight against the darkness of this world so that we can make it through and be overcomers and then have that rich welcome into your eternal kingdom. Lord, thank you for that. You are so good. We love you. You are so good. Amen.